0: If you have your Bible with you, turn it to Matthew 18. Today we're going to look at Matthew 18. So as we're getting into this this morning, I want to ask you a question. Take a little bit of a survey. How many of you have at least one good friend? Put up your hand. Hopefully you're sitting next to them. How many of you have ever had a disagreement with a good friend? Put up your hand. How, how, many, of you, how many of you have lost a good friend due to a disagreement? How, how many of you missed that friend? I just want to know who's here this morning. Because as we talk about how can I forgive others, there's probably, when I think about forgiveness, there's probably a face that comes into your mind or a name that comes into your mind, and I want you to hold that there because we want to talk about how do we forgive that person. With a polarization of the past years, there are dead relationships everywhere, Many of us have lost friends because of COVID, and even since, because of the way in which our world is polarizing. For some reason, we can't disagree without writing somebody off. And this also happens in churches, friends. As I've been studying the history of this church and every other church that I've done, and I've done seven history walls, pardon me, I've done eight history walls. I've noticed that there's some people who were once a part of the church family, but they're gone now. In fact, I've interviewed many, many of them. I wish I could tell you that my relationships have had happy endings. My first senior pastor almost took me out of ministry. I've had staff members that have been rebellious and divisive. I've had elders who have turned their backs on me. I've had people close to me walk away. I know that some of you have had the same experience, and many of you have regrets, you have remorse, and you even have rips in your heart because of others. We all have them. And the Bible says that we have a pattern, that if we choose to follow them, we can live a life with mercy and freedom. Because Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 12. 6 verse 12, forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Why does he tell us that? Because I think he knows we're human. And I think we understand and we're going to look at today in just a moment, we're going to look at the reality that we have been forgiven and we need to forgive other people. But Jesus tells a story that I think describes it for us. Will you stand with me as we read this passage? This morning I want to read it together. If you have your Bible or your app, Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to be starting in verse 21. I'll give you just a minute to find that, because it's important for you to follow along with us. Matthew 18, verses 21 to the end of the chapter. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And by the way, Jews required three. So he doubled it and had one, thought he was getting ahead. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, And let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, let me just give you a comparison. The difference is 20 million and 20 bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will repay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I've had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Don't miss this next verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's, it's important for you to get this this morning. Let me tell you the story of the parable really quickly. For those of us who are followers of Jesus we're like the man who owed the 20 million dollars to the king and couldn't repay him and then God forgave us because it was a debt we could not pay what is Jesus is saying is if you've been forgiven 20 million dollars and it's just a just to give you perspective and why are you withholding forgiveness to someone who's a brother in Christ, or maybe not even a brother or sister in Christ, and they only owe you 20 bucks. Let's talk about that this morning. When did Jesus tell the story? You always have to look at scripture and find out when is the context, like what is the context of when he talks about this? And one of the beautiful things about doing the Bible reading program together, we're seeing the overview of things that are happening. And the 10-day period between the Jewish year and the the Day of Atonement is during this period. And these 10 days were designated for seeking forgiveness between individuals. A person could not seek mercy from God on the great Day of Atonement which was coming towards us if they had not first sought reconciliation with their neighbor. And so you see, the day of the atonement was the experience of the community as everyone participated in the feast. Everybody went to this particular feast. The sound of the sofar, the trumpet, the ritual trumpet, signals this time to reflect on the past months, fix any behavior that isn't helpful, and return to God with his waiting, open arms. You see, the preparation for this collective experience focused on the necessity to forgive one another on a personal level, level, so that we wouldn't approach God with a bitter heart. You see, mercy from above is dependent upon how much mercy I show here. Don't miss that. So we see the story. There's a trial, there's a triumph, and then there's a tribulation. First of all, we see a man who had a huge debt, 10,000 talents. Now in the Jewish mind, when they hear the word 10, they would hear 10 commandments. So there's a connection there. The debt was associated with sin. It's probably a 1 to 600,000 ratio. So nothing short of a miracle would turn around his circumstances. And by the way, it says that he was sold into slavery. That's the first century reality. If you couldn't pay a debt, then you became the property of someone else, and you would work for them to pay off the debt. Now, as we've been learning in Exodus, for those that are following along with us, we've, we realize that God is quick to show mercy to one seeking forgiveness. In Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining to a love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's the one that had the big debt. And then you see the man that has the little debt. But the man who was forgiven the big debt He's not like his master. He goes after the guy that owes him 20 bucks. Now let me read the next verse in Exodus chapter 34. For it says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. So we, I mean, we just read this story and go, man, this guy's messed up. Sometimes so are we. So let's first of all look at the problem of refusing to forgive. Do you know anyone who has told you that they can't forgive somebody else, they just will not forgive somebody else? Anybody, anybody hear that story before? I've heard it. Maybe you've got a close confidant that will not forgive someone. I have a friend whom I've coached, I've taught leadership to, I've, he's not a believer and I've mentored him and he just refuses to forgive when he's offended. He just gets boiled. The problem is he doesn't think it's affecting him, but he's the crumpiest old man I've ever met. Look at what it says in verse 34 of our text. Then the, then the angry king sent him to the prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. The key verse for today is verse 35 that I read at the end. That's what my Heavenly Father will do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. So what's the problem of not forgiving? The first thing is this. We set ourselves up to be turned over to the tormentors. Now, did he mean eternal torment? Possibly. But there are earthly tormentors that come into our lives if we choose not to forgive. Newsweek reported a direct connection between anger and resentment and many of our physiological problems. And I quote, Emotions such as bitterness, rage, and hostility are being linked with blood pressure increases, hormonal changes, impaired immune function, and memory loss. And every time you feel unforgiveness, you are more likely to develop a health problem. End of quote. Secular resource, secular source. So, what's the first jailer that we allow into our lives? The first one is bitterness. Bitterness. Whenever I refuse to forgive or hold a grudge, I am like the man who grabbed his debtor by the throat and demanding, "Pay back what you owe me." In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fifteen, it says this. See to it that no one misuses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The meaning of this bitter root is found in the contrast to the previous verse in verse 14 that says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You see, bitterness is the opposite of relational peace. It depletes our sensibility, undermines our objectivity about others, and it reduces us to one who is senseless and ignorant. Bitterness is unforgiveness amassed to a destructive quantity. It causes us to miss the grace of God in every relationship. Forgiving others roots out the bitterness that grows as we rehearse the hurt inflicted upon us. And once bitterness is removed, the healing grace of God begins to flourish and bear fruit. That's why I love that song, This Is My Testimony. I've gone from death to life. The first jailer is bitterness. The second jailer is resentment. When you have resentment, a significant part of you closes up. You become bitter and less able to express your love. You lose your aliveness and your joy for life. You put up protection walls making your life more difficult. Letting go of resentment is not for the benefit of the other person. Letting go of resentment benefits you. When you resent someone, you're saying forcefully that the other person is the problem, the cause, and the fault, not you. You forcefully blame the other person so you don't have to look at yourself. If you looked at yourself, then you'd have to experience all the hurt from what happened in that experience. And you would have to feel all the hurt of being not good enough, not worth loving, or some other form of not being okay And to avoid this hurt, you resent. Listen to Catherine Ponder. She said this, and I quote, When you hold resentment toward another, you are bound to that person or condition by an emotional link that is stronger than than steel. Forgiveness is the only way to dissolve that link and get free. You see, the enemy of our souls wants us to think it doesn't bother us. It's not, not, just go on with life. Nope. Anger angina came, and angina come from the same root word. You see, God never intended our bodies to hold up under the weight of unresolved conflict and bitterness. You might want to write this next statement down. Resentment or unforgiveness towards someone is like drinking a glass of poison waiting for your enemy to die. Let me say that again because I want you to get this down. Resentment or unforgiveness towards someone is like drinking a glass of poison waiting for his enemy to die. Now, you and I would think about well, that. That's just stupid. But yet. You see, the problem of refusing to forgive is that it not only sets us up to turn over, be turned over to the tormentors, but the next thing is we can't experience God's love and forgiveness. That's what it says in verse 35. That's what the Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Can we stop God from being a forgiving God? No. But if we're unwilling to forgive, we pinch off the source of God's mercy and compassion to flow into our lives. When we refuse to forgive, something is blocked in our relationship with God. If, if, I if this would have been summertime, I would have brought back a piece of hose And used it as an illustration that when we're living in harmony with one another, we're like the hose that's not cranked, cooked, pinched. But the minute that we have unforgiveness in our heart, we pinch off the hose, which means we pinch off the flowing grace of God and freedom of God in our lives. And it's not until we release that by forgiveness that we'll have that experience in our lives. And you see, the, the third problem of refusing to forgive us is that we give Satan an advantage in our lives. Paul found out that there was a man in his church who was having relations with his father in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he told the church to deal with it, and they did, and he repented. Now Paul in his, sec- in his second letter, Second Corinthians, had to instruct them on how to treat the man. Listen to these words from Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11, or, or verse seven. "Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Listen, folks. This bouncing around bothers me. When we refuse to forgive, Satan is allowed to take advantage of us. He starts to win the arguments in our minds and and he has a way in our relationships and he desensitizes our hearts to the spirit of God. God says don't give the enemy a platform to plunder your life. And for some of us we wonder why things aren't going well. We wonder why we have these things in our minds and our things in our life and the stress and the anger and the angst and all those things. And all we've done is we've built a platform for the enemy to have his way with our li- in our lives. When we withhold forgiveness, we build the deck that a devil dances on to deceive us, which can ultimately destroy us. In your notes, circle this, the devil always wins when we fail to forgive. He always wins. You're not winning. We think we do. So what does forgiving others require? You might be saying, okay, Bob, I'm convinced that it's not helpful not to forgive. So how do I forgive? Glad you asked. Let's look at a few things. The first thing is, remember your own need. That's why I... I spoke last weekend on how God has forgiven us. We have to start from a place of humility and contrition. Contrition, pardon me. That is why last week I started with how important it is that you and I experience forgiveness. Because remember, you and I need forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, Christ identifies with your hurt and my hurt. He does not belittle the injury, but identifies with the cost of the offense. The man in this story didn't realize the vastness of the economy of the king's grace and mercy. He had been forgiven much. So you got to remember your need of forgiveness. Second thing is you need to release the other person. You might be going, release? I'd like to strangle them. Well, that's not the correct answer. Don't get that from this morning. I get it, but God tells us to do something different. Look in your notes, Matthew 18, 26. But the man fell down before the king, his face in the dust, and said, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I will repay. And the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him. Underline that. He released him and forgave his debt. I'm going to give you two more statements that I think you should write down and put them maybe even in your Bible. Okay, here's a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for you hurting me. Archibald Hart said that. Incredible statement. Why do we have to release The person is because we want them to pay. Here's another one. To forgive is to set the prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. The man was faced with losing everything because he could not pay. And the problem with being injured is that we want someone to pay. Somebody has to pay for this. And in our pain, we think we know what the price ought to be towards the person who has hurt us. I know that because I've sat up different nights thinking of some devilish ways that I I wanted God to deal with some people, and I wanted to do some things to people that hurt me. I've been there, sat there, done it. Got the t-shirt and the journal full of it. But you and I can count on the fact that God is a forgiving God. Let me ask you this morning. How many of you are thankful that God is a forgiving God? Oh, man. Absolutely. We have no problem with God forgiving our little sins, right? But what about the one who hurts you? What about the one who hurts me? Can God forgive them too? I wish I had time to take you to the book of Jonah. but Let me just give you the story of Jonah real quick. Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh because he wants him to preach so that the people at Nineveh will return and will repent and turn to God. And what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction. right? He goes on a cruise, starts out snorkeling, and then ends up in the belly of a fish. Bob's translation, very loose. He repents in the belly, gets coughed up, he decides he's going to go do what God's asked him to do. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches in Nineveh, to Nineveh. Instead of judgment coming down, they all turn their hearts towards God, and then Jonah's ticked. Let me read it for you real quick. So when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, is it not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and bounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied to Jonah, I love, I love this. Have you any right to be angry? And then God does something. He provides a vine to give him shade. And then he provides a worm that eats the shade. And then, then Jonah's all mad again. And Jonah says, it'd be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. And I'm angry enough to die. I have heard Similar lines from people who are holding bitterness and resentment. In the back of our minds, we've had this conversation. I know that God, you will forgive them, so I will refrain from doing that because they have to pay for my pain. Have you ever felt like Noah? I did. I have. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, 12, pardon me. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all, that I, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will repay them back, says the Lord. So what are we supposed to do? Let God take care of it. Leave the revenge with God. We don't have time for stories that I could tell you about how God did this in my life. If I wanted them to, I wanted them to pay. But God, I, this is yours. The only way I'm going to have peace, the only way I'm going to be able to sleep at night, the only way I'm not going to have ulcers or have a heart attack is to leave this with you. You might be saying, okay, Bob, I've heard that. But What do I do? How do I do that? Great question. Take a piece of paper and sit down and write out in detail the extent of your injury and your pain. And you just get as honest and as raw and as specific as you possibly can. List everything that you would like to say to someone who deeply hurt you. Because for some of us, that person isn't around anymore. That person may have died. That person may be in the other part of the country. That person may not want to talk to me. And then, when you're done, I want you to take a red highlighter, a red pen, and just strike an X over it and say, I choose to forgive this person, Jesus, because you paid for my sin and you paid for theirs. But that's not the end of it. If you're at home and it's the winter time, Take it to your shredder. Don't hang on to it. And as an act of choosing to forgive, you dump that into the shredder. Or, if you're at the the lake, throw it in the fire. Or if you've got a fireplace, throw it in the fire. And write it down somewhere that that was the date you chose to do it. Thomas Fuller said this, he that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Pass himself, For every man has need to be forgiven. Remember your own need. Release the other person. Number three, recognize that God is at work. For those who are joining me in reading the, through the Bible, we recently read about Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, the story of Joseph, his brothers treated him poorly and sent him into bondage. Due to a famine, the brothers had to come to Egypt to get food. And Joseph recognized them, but, but he, they don't recognize him. Not in your notes, in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Then Joseph turned, could no longer control himself about, before all of his attendants, and he cried out. Have everyone leave my presence," he said. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And this is what I want you to hear: and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's house and household heard about it. What was Joseph doing? His his brothers weren't in the room. He was releasing his brothers. And after his father dies, the, his brothers get nervous, which they should have. And in your notes it says, But Joseph replied, Do not be afraid of me, for I am my God that I could punish you. You've heard this one many, many times. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for, for good. And He brought me into this position so that I could save the lives of many people. God is at work in ways you and I do not see today. But we may see if we look back. You got time for another one? Yep. You okay? All right. Reestablish the relationship. And I want to put, put an asterisk beside this one. As much as possible. Dr. Henry, Cla- Henry Cloud's book called Trust is an excellent resource for those that need to reestablish trust when a relationship has been broken. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, do all you can to live in peace with everyone. It takes great wisdom to know if you should re-engage in a relationship, and you may need help for this. If the person has caused great pain and you need to, you may need to contact a professional counselor to help discern if the relationship should be reconciled. Here's what I want you to understand. You're commanded to forgive, but you're not commanded to trust instantly again and be in relationship with that person. It's not wise sometimes. One more to go. (laughs) I love this one. Repeat is necessary. When do I stop forgiving someone, as Peter said? And the the question before, as he was preparing for the Day of Atonement, Jesus said, no, 70 times 7. I told you the story last week of a man who came into my office, and I watched him change in front of me as he began to choose to forgive. His question was, when do I know if I've forgiven this person? I said, it's real simple. I said, I know you've forgiven this person when you come into the lobby on Sunday morning, and you see the person who who wounded you and you wave at them and say good morning and you say it with a pure heart and you go into worship and it doesn't even affect your time with God. See, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to keep forgiving. You're going to have to keep forgiving. You're going to have to keep forgiving. But there's going to be one day when you're going to be okay. What about your feelings? I don't feel like forgiving them. Well, let me say this. George Carl deals with this succinctly. Number one, feelings are designed to follow obedience or disobedience. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds everything you can imagine, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Notice the order. The peace comes after. Secondly, feelings are not designed to transmit truth. (laughs) How many of you have ever made a, a decision based on feelings and regretted it? Of course we have. Number three, feelings must be informed and corrected within our soul. Our feelings are unable to tell us the truth. Our feelings have said to us that sin is okay. Lust is healthy. Argumentativeness is productive. And slander is simply a matter of being honest. Faith in God is not a fleeting feeling, but a step of obedience to God's word and will. Gandhi said this, The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Carl George said this, Our maturation can be measured by how quickly we become able to forgive. Jesus was able to forgive even while he was being crucified. So our memory verse for this week is instead, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians So how does this verse instruct us? If we've been forgiven a debt that we could not pay by a forgiving God, then where do you and I get off thinking that we have the right to withhold forgiveness for the offense of another? Remember the definition. Forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. So what are you going to do today? Will you set the other person free or keep sipping the poison and hope that they die? Let me lean in a little bit more. If you're unwilling to forgive, are you ready to have God withhold his forgiveness from you? Once when someone asked Melvin Maxwell his opinion about a man that had said some very unkind things about him. Maxwell replied, I think he's a good man. How can that be, the questioner asked. He said such terrible things about you. Well, Melvin said, you asked me what I thought of him. Not what he thought of me. What a powerful story. This helped me understand unconditional love and to realize that the safest person to talk to when I'm dealing with forgiveness is my Lord. Amen? Amen. Now please look at the bottom of your outline. Here's what I want you to be able to do to take the next step in freeing yourself by choosing to forgive. I gave you a little bit of a prayer. Lord, today I forgive. You put the name in. And you put the offense in. Show me any action I need to take to reestablish the relationship. Help me to forgive others as much as you've forgiven me. The connection card that you took and told me about April the 20th. I want to pray for you this week because some of you may have to go and forgive some people. And what I'd like you to take is that connection card Put your name on it. Put your first name on it. And then put the initials of the person that you know that the Lord wants you to go and talk to. I don't need to know their name. I just want to pray for you in that situation. Would you take the time to be you to respond to God's word? And say, Lord, I'm willing to make this right. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we want to worship you because you canceled our debt of sin, which we could never repay through the incredible work of Jesus. Jesus, we marvel at how you taught us to forgive. And you didn't just tell us. You demonstrated for us how to quickly forgive. And Jesus, there are times we are just like Noah. Forgive us. Forgive us for allowing unforgiveness to make us bitter and resentful. Forgive us for allowing Satan to take, a, take place in our lives because we withhold forgiveness. And what happens is we give him a leg to stand on and robbing us from freedom and meaningful relationships. So today, in simple obedience to your word, we choose to forgive the person we wrote down on our card. We release them knowing it really means that we release ourselves from them. And Holy Spirit, fill us with your love so that we may allow this gift of forgiveness to work out in our lives and in their key relationships and even extended families and friends. Because when we do that, we become more like Jesus. In our desire today, precious Holy Spirit, is to be like him today. And I pray for everyone here. I know the strain, I know the consternation, I know the pain that we experience when we have to make the choice to forgive. Oh God, would you touch us as we do this?